This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. is Romans 12:17-21. If you'd like, take a moment to turn there with me. And please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Again, tonight's passage is Romans 12:17-21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, um, the reason I'm sitting on a stool is because if I stand up, then I can't see you. Um, so... I'd rather be standing, but this will work. Um, we are continuing in our sermon series in, uh, in Romans. And um, last week uh, we looked at kind of the way that um, the church should operate in-house, how we treat each other uh, as fellow members of uh, the body of Christ, as members of the church. Um, we're, we've moved into our, the second section of Romans which has to do with ethics. Um, the first was more with theology. And so um, he began by talking about how we treat each other in, within the church. And then tonight uh, he moves into how we treat uh, people outside the family, if you will. Um, those who are strangers and, and those who are enemies. Which is not to say that you can't have an enemy inside the church, because oftentimes we do. Um, but that's what Paul's talking about, how we treat people who are angry with us, uh, people who are opposed to us, people who hate us. And he says two things. Uh, first of all, he says, never take revenge. Verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. And uh, this is from the uh, New Living Translation, by the way. That's the one I've been using. Uh, and then he says, after that, he says, bless your enemies. Uh, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If thirsty, give them something to drink. So these are kind of, um, in some ways, two different 
parts of the same command. The first one is a more passive, don't take revenge, don't strike back. The second one is more aggressive. Not only are you not to strike back, but you're actually supposed to move towards somebody that is your enemy with love. So first, never take revenge. Second, bless your enemies. Paul says in verse 17, never pay back evil with evil. Now it's natural to pay back evil with evil. Uh, If evolution were the entire story, of what a human being is. We would pay back evil for evil. Uh, Animals don't forgive. Uh, Animals retaliate. It's in their nature, they can't help that. Uh, But we're more than animals. We are animals, but we're more than animals. We are uh, made in God's image, and God is a God of forgiveness and grace, and so we are made to be creatures who are able to pull off these marvelous feats of grace and humility. Uh, For example, uh, Martin Luther King grew up in Atlanta in the 50s. My parents actually grew up there too, same time. Uh, They remember that well, a time of uh, the evil of Jim Crow. And so uh, that my parents saw that, what what he went through with, um, he had to sit in the balcony at the movies. Uh, He couldn't sit down with the rest of the people Uh, He had to sit at the back of the bus. Uh, He went to these these Coke machines. Uh, They would have a Coke machine on one side, um, was really nice, uh, cold, fresh Coke on the other side. They were flat and they were um, warm. They weren't refrigerated. So just all these waves of kind of systemic evil. And, uh, And yet when Martin Luther King was at a, a freshman at Morehouse College, he became fascinated with the idea of nonviolence through Emerson and Gandhi and mostly through his upbringing as a Christian. And uh, his first book, The Strive Towards Freedom, uh, was dedicated to this idea of nonviolence. And his whole life was dedicated to the idea. And uh, he, this is a quote from that book. He called it the refusal to cooperate with an evil system a courageous confrontation of evil by the power of love, the most powerful weapon available to oppressed people. And of course, he was taking that uh, as a page from the playbook of Jesus, his Lord, his King. And he knew that what Jesus said was true, that the best way to fight evil, the best way to fight Jim Crow was uh, through absorbing it and taking it out of the system. I'm not sure people believe that as much nowadays, but that's the way he fought. Matthew 5, 29 says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the left one also. And that's not simply about not being violent, that's about absorbing insults. In other words, it's a way of taking the slap out of the system. And the slap on the cheek had to do more with an insult than it did with violence. It's kind of like when you catch a baseball barehanded and when it's coming to your hand, you pull back to kind of pull out some of the momentum from the system. Uh, If somebody slaps you on the cheek, you kind of turn to get the momentum out of the system so it doesn't just bounce right back. You take evil out of the system. You don't belittle them when they slap you on the cheek, 
in a political discussion. Uh, you don't zing them. You take it out of the system. You bear it. You put yourself on mute. And you let that violent energy die on your face. Verse 19 says, never take revenge, but leave that to the righteous anger of God. The reason that we can not take revenge is because we know that we have an avenger on our side who will work everything out. That we don't need to be the one who produces justice. We don't need to be like Batman, a vigilante like Spider-Man where they're not, they're not trusting the, the justice system. We, we trust the justice system of heaven. Uh, we can leave it to the wrath of God. So when my boss shames me in front of my coworkers, I can let that go. I don't need to strike back. I can let heaven work that out. And if a student of mine uh, rolls his eyes at me and mocks me in front of the whole class, I don't have to strike back. I can let that go. Uh, when a waiter at a restaurant, as recently happened, kind of acted like he was superior to me, like I was lucky to be there in his restaurant, uh, I don't have to stiff him. I, I can be generous to him. I can take that out of the system and let that go. Paul says in Colossians 3.8, rid yourselves of anger, rage, and malice. James 1.20 says the, that anger does not produce what we think it will produce. He says anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We think that it does. We feel like when we're angry, we are important and we're fighting for justice sometimes. And Paul says that does not produce the righteous life that God desires. I read a Psychology Today article which says uh, reflections on the most seductive human emotion. And they say anger potently serves to invalidate whoever led us to feel invalidated. Let me read that again. Anger potently serves to invalidate whoever led us to feel invalidated as we self-righteously proclaim the superiority of our viewpoint. It feels good. The rush of blood to the head, the increased heart rate, the adrenaline surge. You know, it was put there so we would defend ourselves when we were attacked. It's good for a while, but another article, which is called The Destructive Power of Hate, says that this mental venom can pollute your spirit, poison your soul, and seep into all of the relationships that surround you. So that's point one. Don't take revenge. Don't indulge that anger. Let that go. Take the momentum out of the system. And that's not only a biblical idea. That's really good for us. Uh, secular psychologists study this. They know it's healing. The whole world knows that. No revenge, point one. What the world doesn't know, what is unique to the ministry of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, is that we should bless our enemies. That doesn't make sense to secular psychologists. You're not going to find an article in psychology today about why you should hate your enemy and bless your enemy and treat someone with love who hates you. That's a uniquely Jesus thing to do. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, then feed them. So this is not just passive. This is now actively moving towards them in love. Even if it's an enemy. And I don't know if you've had an enemy before. Uh, 
I don't think I had had one before recently. And it's no one here, so don't worry, but it's really weird to have someone in my life who I consider to be a true enemy um, because they hate me. And it's very tempting to hate them. And it's a, it's a weird thing to even imagine taking them a meal. For me to think of taking this person a meal would almost feel immoral. It would feel like I was enabling them or something like that. But Paul says without qualification, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. Feed them. Now, I'm in a Bible study and one of the guys made a good point. He said, uh, he said but what if feeding my enemy enables their destructive behavior. And I think that Paul would say, uh, sometimes feeding your enemy means you confront them. It's a different kind of food. But it's an actually, it's a way of loving them. It's a way that takes energy. Where you go to them and you say to your enemy, who you would much rather just leave alone, you say, you need to stop doing this. Uh, this is killing you as much as it is hurting me. Uh, Jesus said, bless those who curse you. And perhaps the blessing sometimes is to tell someone, I love you so much that I've come to tell you, you've got to stop doing this. This is terrible for you. This is separating you from God. This is destroying your life. Sometimes that's the blessing, is to say something very harsh, but very, very loving to give them strong medicine. Somebody else brought up the objection well, what if my enemy is uh, systematically persecuting me and is abusive and to be near them um, is toxic for me? And I think that's a good point. And I would say there at that point, sometimes the only thing you can do is to pray. And that's where Luke six twenty seven comes in. Jesus says, pray for those who mistreat you. So no matter what happens, even if you can't engage with them, and that's understandable at times, maybe even unhealthy for you to engage with them, to be in their presence, you can always pray for them. You need to pray for them because it blesses you as much as it does them. And the question here really for all of us right now is where is your hate? Where is the hate in your life? You know, who is it that dismisses you? Uh, who is it that opposes you? Who would you like to see embarrassed? And I have to say right now, uh, it's probably going to be in politics. It's going to get worse the next week, but it's probably in politics that there's someone that is very, very hard for you to, to be around, to talk to. They've hurt you. You consider them an enemy. They have a different perspective potentially for you uh, for me right now it seems impossible to love this enemy and uh, that's where that's where we've got to remember reality we've got to ask ourselves what kind of world am i living in is it a world where i'm good and they're bad is it a world where there are good guys and bad guys where they People, the, the cowboys with the black hats and the cowboys with the white hats? And the answer is no. The answer is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Is it a world uh, that is saturated with righteous indignation? 
And again, the answer is no. It's a world where there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a world where righteous indignation has been taken out by God. Is it a world where the one with the most power wins? The one that can coerce the most votes, raise the most money for their campaign? No. Paul says the gospel is the power of God. The gospel. The gospel is the power of God. I heard a story um, from a friend this week about a man in uh, Zimbabwe and his farm was taken away uh, by troops and his family was beaten and uh, he was prostrate on the ground bleeding uh, beneath the soldier's boot and this man heard a voice in his head that told him uh, bless those who persecute you and the man said back to the voice I can't do that and the voice said again bless him and again he said no and one more time, the voice said, bless, do not curse. And so apparently against every instinct, this man placed his hand on the soldier's boot and he said out loud, and his teeth were mostly missing when he said this. He said, I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the kind of world we live in. And that's real power. That is a world empowered by the gospel. That's the thing that Jesus brought into the world that nobody else had ever thought of. It was like he was the first person that, you know, said the world isn't flat, it's round. Or the sun doesn't go around us, we go around the sun. He said, revenge doesn't work, anger doesn't work. Grace and humility, that's what conquers evil. And not only did he say it, but he did it. On the cross, as his greatest act of glory, as his grand finale to his life, as the very reason he came here, he absorbed all of our hate, all mockery, the whips, the spears, the nails, even the wrath of God pierced him through. Pierced him through. And he didn't just... He didn't just passively accept all of our evil. He actually actively ran towards it. So it wasn't just that he didn't take revenge. It was that he loved his enemy. He didn't just empty his soul of anger. He, he came and aggressively moved into the space where his enemy lived. Like hugging a porcupine, the quills out. Or embracing a, a sea urchin or something that is so painful to do. Just putting your arms around someone just filled with hatred and malice and anger, that's what he did. He gathered us in tight and allowed us to pierce him and felt the pain. And that's what we celebrate at this table. This is the table where uh, this, is, this is what reality is like. Every week we are brought back to our sanity uh, our eyes are reopened to the truth about life, which is this table uh, that on the night...